0: And good evening, everyone, and welcome to Newark United Pentecostal Church and our digital campus. It is good to see everyone tonight. I hope that you are well, and we thank you at the outset for joining us for our Friday Night with Friends broadcast. We are very excited, so I want to just do a few preliminary uh, announcements and get out of the way and let our host, Brother Moss, um One of our pastors on the pastoral team is going to introduce you to our guest, and he will be um, the host of tonight. I will mainly be taking care of the questions behind the scenes and kind of feeding those at the point. If you're new to us, Friday Night with Friends is about a 30-minute time period where we invite a friend to come and share some particular aspect of their story or their expertise or that kind of a thing. Sometimes it's interview style. Sometimes we give them the whole 30 minutes. We'll see what Brother Moss does tonight. And then I will notify you all that it's time to start putting in questions. And the one request we have is that you would put in all caps question and then followed by your question. That alerts the moderator. That's me that I can know how to uh, decipher among all of the chitter chatter. One of the amazing things about a digital campus is you're allowed to talk in church. It's different than in person. In person, you are not allowed to talk in church. You're only allowed to praise and sing and shout, but you're not supposed to talk in church. Well, on a digital campus, you're supposed to talk. So feel free to interact with one another, but you'll help me out if you'll put that question in front of there. If you're new with us, we welcome you. We're glad that you joined us, and uh, we hope that you enjoy tonight's broadcast you want to learn more about us, all kinds of things, everything about our digital campus, everything about our small groups, uh, everything, go to Newark UPC. That's our town name, newarkupc.info. Again, newarkupc.info. You can find out everything about us there and uh, partner with us in giving, send in prayer and praise reports, all kinds of things. So go check that website out as well. Um, but I need to get out of the way, and I'm going to turn this over to Pastor Roy. Take it away, and I'm going to disappear and introduce us to our guest tonight.
1: All right. Hello, everyone. We're glad you're with us this evening. And our guest this evening is a good friend of mine, a long-term friend of mine, Brother Ivan Followell. Uh, He uh, has held probably more revivals for me in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, than anybody else that, that uh, preached for me in the 46 years that I was pastor there. Uh, we always had a good time. Brother Falwell always kept things interesting, especially after church and we went over to the house and had uh, a good time there, good fellowship. And uh, he, he kept us laughing and always a, a good preacher. And uh, we had some really wonderful moves of God in the revivals that he held for us. Uh, he had a little rough spot. Uh, I'll put it that way. He might, he uh-huh. might have a, a different adjective to describe it, but it, through all of it found that the, the mercy of God is still great. And, uh, uh, we've asked him to come tonight and share some of his testimony with us, and we'll have some questions after a while. Brother Fallwell, why don't I just uh, get off and, and let you tell your story? You, you know it is better than anybody else. So rather than uh, hanging around and, and maybe even complicating things, if uh, you could just tell us a, a little bit of uh, how God has, has worked in your life. God bless you, thank you for being with us.
2: Thank you, Pastor Moss. Praise the Lord, everybody. Am I there? I can't see anything.
1: You are here.
2: Okay. It's an honor to be with you guys tonight. This is a, uh, I must admit a complicated thing to talk about because, Uh, When you fall away from God, there's so much guilt and uh, I don't like to use the the word shame because I've learned the difference in guilt and shame. Guilt says I made a mistake. Shame says I am a mistake. And that is why so many people uh, can't dig out of the the hole that they're in after they have stumbled because there's this feeling that I've let people down, first of all, but most of all, I've let God down. So if I get emotional tonight, please forgive me. Uh, God's been very good to me. I uh, got in the church in 1975 at the age of 17. Uh, I never knew anything about church, didn't know anything about Pentecostals, all I knew is I'd see them in the store and they had this bun on their head and this kapoof. (laughs) (laughs) I I knew nothing about Pentecost, I knew nothing about the Holy Ghost, but I prayed through in a little church in El Reno, Oklahoma. Uh, My mom and dad was raised with Vernon Bell and Mary Bell, and so he was pastoring the church there, and I went and prayed through at the age of 17, and uh, I'm not bragging, but I fell so in love with Jesus, and I, I would get confused by some of the elder saints that would come to me, you know, being kind, but they'd say, never lose that zeal, never lose that excitement, that first love. And I thought, how could you ever lose this? How could you ever not feel this attitude of gratitude that they're talking about losing? Well, life gets in the way sometimes. If I went into my, my whole testimony, you don't have enough time tonight. But I'll, I'll give a little synopsis. God's been good to me. I uh, got married uh, after a little while, we started preaching and evangelizing. And as Brother Moss stated, I preached for him several times. and if I told you everything about him, we'd be here all night tonight.
0: So, oh now this is sounding interesting to me, Brother Fowell. Maybe we got to have you come back and tell us all of those stories for another broadcast.
2: If Brother Moss was always the most dignified, As a matter of fact, when I knew I was invited to preach in Bartlesville, I was so intimidated because he—he, I just thought he was just very educated, high society. He never knew I knew that or thought that. I never told him that he was far from that. He's educated, but he's down to earth. He's just kind and loving his wife. uh, She can cook real, real good. And as soon as you guys are back uh, out of your, your shutdown or whatever you're doing now, sis, I want to come back, eat. So anyway, thank you for having me. I uh, evangelized. God was very gracious to me. I preached revivals, mainly in Oklahoma, quite a bit. Uh, preached in Texas and Tennessee. And I was even privileged, and this is in no wise bragging. I I was honored to preach a camp or two. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just amazing where God took me. But I've learned now in, in retrospect, looking back, I've tried to put my finger on when it was that I began to slip. And inevitably, I have found that it was when I slacked in my prayer life. Okay. Uh, Pastor Vernon Bell, his favorite verse was Luke 18 and 1. It is this, and men ought always to pray and not to faint. And he quoted that almost every service. And he just drilled it in us because he was a prayer warrior. But when I started evangelizing, I found that, uh, you know, I still needed to pray But when you have messages that you preach somewhere else and it worked and uh, the flesh has a tendency to get in the way. And I think, well, it worked there. Maybe I don't have to pray as hard as I did. I'm going to be transparent with you guys. And so I started slacking in my prayer life. And I want you to know right now that is that is the lifeline of the church. You guys that are hunkered down now that the COVID 19 has taken over Delaware and the Northeast up there, and you're not able to attend church. Whatever you do, keep praying because prayer is what will keep you. But I uh, started slacking in prayer and uh, I I got an invitation to go and start a church in a little town called Munford, Tennessee. And I'll be quite frank with you when I did I never really prayed and asked God if it was his perfect will. They tell me there's a permissive will of God. I don't know that that's in the Bible. I think he gives us permission when we're so bullheaded like he did Israel and giving them a king. But God called me to evangelize. He gave some evangelist pastors, teachers, you know, that you have to find your place in the kingdom. And mine was evangelizing. And so I just, because of pressure, I, I went to a little town in Tennessee and I started a home missions work. And if you've never started a home missions work, if you've never been in a home missions church, it is hard from the get-go. I don't know if Brother Moss, if you started the church in Bartlesville, but he can relate to what I'm talking about. It's it's a work. It's a, it's, it's a sacrifice. But... I realized after I'd been there just a little while that this was not evangelizing. You had to get a new message every service. Everybody had more and worse problems than I did. People would tell me their problems and I would think, if that's all I was going through in life, I would, I'd be shouting in the street. But I didn't know how to, how to pastor. So it began to mount up and the pressures began to build. And uh, my prayer life began to wane. And I I have to cut through a lot of this. I teach the Acts class here in, in Oklahoma, and I go into more details about this. But I, uh, I, I felt the pressures mounting, and it starts messing with your head. It messes with your marriage. And I don't know. I just feel in the Holy Ghost today to tell somebody that's watching this that Maybe you have a backslidden child, a husband, wife. I just want to encourage you to know that God is still reaching for them. I read a verse in Isaiah just a few days ago. The hand of the Lord is not short that it cannot save, neither is his ear heavy that it cannot hear. And God told me this, no matter how deep of a hole you dig, no matter how far you think you've ran, he can still reach you. And he can still hear you. And so to make a long story short, uh, I began to feel the pressures mounting. And in that little home missions church, I finally had a nervous breakdown, literally a nervous breakdown. I'm talking about in the fetal position on my couch, crying and confused, wondering what to do. And if I start crying, you guys, just, it's just how it's got to be. Uh, when you preached camps and you preached revivals and you have had people pat you on the back and give you accolades, and, who do you call? You know, it's, it's really hard to call someone and just say, uh, you know, I'm, I'm at the bottom of the bottom and I don't know where to go. I didn't know who to call. Brother Moss would have helped me, but I was ashamed. Who do you tell? And so I chose to do what I should have never done. I told nobody. I just just let it build and build and build until finally my emotions just blew up. I had a nervous breakdown. And if that was the end of the story, that's that's not a sin. If you have had one, That doesn't make you a bad person. You just, you know, just because you fail doesn't make you a failure. Uh, It's not how many times you fall. It's how many you get back up. So I fell one time and uh, didn't get back up for a long time. So I'll tell you what happened. I went to the doctor and uh, I needed help. There I was, a little home missionary pastor, and I walked into his office and this doctor he uh, tried to prescribe me something. I don't know what it was, maybe Xanax, I don't know. But in my mind, preachers don't take drugs. You know. Now I realize medicine is, uh, is helpful. And if you're on medication, God bless you. Uh, one doctor finally told me after I'd gone through a lot, he said, Ivan, if you need it, it's medicine. But when you just want it, it's drugs. And so if you need it, don't be ashamed. You know, we all go through things. But I went into his office and he got his prescription pad out and he began to uh, tell me he was gonna write a prescription. I said, no, doc, please. I said, I don't, I don't wanna get on, in my mind, drugs. You know, I said, I don't wanna get on drugs or medicine. And that doctor did something that now I realize all these years later that he turned from being a doctor into being an agent of hell, because he said, all right, if you don't want me to write you a prescription, he said, Ivan, you do know that uh, alcohol will calm your nerves, don't you? And I I leaned back and laughed. I I said, I don't know where you went to college or where you learned. I said, if I don't wanna take medicine, do you honestly think I wanna drink? It made me mad. I just stormed out of his office and uh, went home, no better, got worse. Because uh, you got to understand, life just keeps coming at you. It'll, it comes from every direction. And don't anyone misconstrue what I'm telling you here today. it's God is good. It's never God's fault. It's never something God didn't do. It's like the little lady and the man that was driving down the dirt road one day. It's probably an Oklahoma joke, but uh, they were driving down the road. The man was driving, the lady was sitting over there by the window. And she said, You know, Earl said, when we first got together, said, We sit right beside each other. And he said, Well, Marlene, the steering wheel's in the same spot. So she is the one that scooted over. I can't see all of you, but I know some of y'all are just cracking up right now. So the thing is, God never moved. Anything that I went through, I'm the one that moved away. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. So I went home. I don't know how much time transpired. Had kids, had three little boys. Uh, and if you got kids, you know they in themselves are a handful and take a lot of time and So you got three kids in a a small home missions church and they made me youth leader of the section and I preached a camp or two there and I was getting stretched real thin until finally one night I just, I couldn't take any more. I just, that's when I got, went to the place I told you um, I got worse and worse. And that, that nervous breakdown came back and I'm in the fetal position again and I'm crying and then all of a sudden, just like out of the blue, I see that doctor's face and I hear his voice as he says, you know, Ivan, alcohol will calm your nerves. I don't know how many nights I fought that, I don't know how many nights that I resisted it. But after a while of hearing that, that voice, uh, I just needed some relief I should have cried out to God. I should. Matter of fact, I did. I went on a five-day fast, and it seemed like God forgot who I was, but He hadn't. It was just me giving up. And so, I finally, one night, I, I was sitting there. There, I hear hear the doctor. He comes again. You know, it'll it'll calm your nerves. And uh, I just want everybody to hear me now. I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but uh, AA will try to tell you that, you know, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic. And something else I learned, AA will try to pass the buck, and they tried to blame it on my daddy, he never drank, blame it on my mama, she never drank. So they went down the line until they found my grandpa or an uncle that was an alcoholic. There it is. Now you're condemned to a life of alcohol, but I want to make the I want to make it clear here tonight. I'm the one that did it. Okay, I've, I've always wanted people to understand. I don't blame the church. I don't blame God by no means. I don't blame my marriage. I don't blame poverty. And if you've ever been an old missionary preacher, you know it's then when you understand. Why they call us Penny Coastal, P-E-N-N-Y? There, y'all go laughing again. Thank you, thank you. But I, uh, I don't blame it on any of that. I blame it on me, just giving into the pressures. I've learned something since then. I want, I want you guys to hear this. I don't know if you know this is, you know, it's in the Bible, but I, I learned all this after I came back to God. Uh, in Luke 21, Jesus warned the church talking about the end time and the things that was coming on the earth and he said this he said take heed to yourselves lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting drunkenness and the cares of this life well i got a greek hebrew lexicon for christmas one year or something so i i uh study in it and i read in it and until I left it on the coffee table one day and the puppy got a hold of it and ate Genesis. And uh, I wanted to kill him, but hey, he barks Hebrew now, so. Anyway, I, uh, I found that when I studied this, it's so much deeper than we think just by reading the words. He said surfeiting, and if you read that word in the Greek, that's, that means like a, a hangover, a headache, or confusion of the mind, he said, these things are coming, he said, and drunkenness is coming on the face of the whole earth, and the word drunkenness there is actually a Greek word, methae. just metha, M-E-T-H-A-Y, and it's, it's, not coincidental that it's in there, but when you look at the true meaning of the word methane, it doesn't just mean alcohol, but it means intoxicants. Jesus said there's a snare coming up on the world. That, sna- that word snare is as a hook in the nose, and he said it's going to cover the entire world. There'll be a plague, not, not a COVID, there's going to be a plague of addiction. That's coming on the entire earth. It's going to affect every family, every nation, every city. You know, back when I was young, there was a town drunk, you know, in the little towns. And now every family has a meth addict or a, and Jesus warned. And he said, take heed, pay close attention. It's coming. But then he wrote me a prescription that I never, never applied to my life because he said, pray always and watch that this day doesn't come up on you unawares he said 2020 it's not coming it's came it's here and so I saw that doctor and I I thought what could it hurt I mean I'm not what could it hurt just to calm my nerves because I need relief so I went and i I'm treating this tonight more like the ax class than church, because I know there's church people watching this and you're aghast. And some of you are like, Oh my God, you've got to hear me. You're you've got family members that needs to know there's a God that loves them and will deliver them. Okay. They don't need to be piled on and called losers and, and rejects. And no, 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 no. They need to hear somebody say, you know, I heard this chunky preacher from Oklahoma. He's here. He goes to our church. I'll introduce you. But we <laughs> I want you to say, I heard this guy on a Friday night that came from the brinks of death and even beyond. Because that night I went and drove. I bought some alcohol. A preacher. Y'all listening to me? And I sat in my driveway and I took a drink and I'm going to tell you honestly, as God is my witness, that doctor was right because my nerves just went, but what he did not tell me was tomorrow it would be back. It's, it'll, it'll calm your nerves, but it's like a Band-Aid, and the next day it was back, and so you have to calm them, and and I can't go into all the details, and it would take too long, but before I knew it, I had gone from just calming my nerves to losing everything I had. Uh, you know, I thought i lost my friends, and I did a lot of them. Uh, lost my God, I thought. But anyway, I gave into that temptation and before it was all over, I was divorced. I was, everything went just haywire in my life. And in the year 2000, I overdosed and I died. I woke up and my oldest son, Nathan, he said, dad, you died. The doctor told me, he said, he asked me if I was trying to kill myself. And I said, no, sir, I don't think so. But I didn't care if I died. And he began to tell me the numbers of the that it was in my system that country singer Keith Whitley overdosed and his alcohol was 0.5 something. Mine was 0.7. Uh, he told me I've never heard in the history of Oklahoma. No, he said in the history of the world, nobody has ever came back from there. But you know what I saw when God brought me back? Sister, maybe it was you. God showed me a precious old saint of God praying for me. And he said, Ivan, that's the reason you're alive because you had people praying. Roy Moss was praying. There was people all over praying. And God brought me back from death. And I found my way back. Like I said, I don't, I don't have time tonight, guys. I wish I could tell you the whole story. Found my way back to God. God refilled me with the Holy Ghost. Came to this little church in Mustang, Oklahoma. Uh, I've been here now for almost 11 years. And I've got my, <clears throat> got my kids back. I lost my kids for what I thought would be forever. They moved to Nashville to get famous. But God restored me. He gave me my kids back. He gave me my friends back. But most of all, I got him back. And I will tell this to somebody right now that's watching me. Uh, After me asking God for the thousandth time or asking, please, God, forgive me. I couldn't. I was just so far guilt and. And finally, one night in prayer, God spoke to me and he said, Ivan, I forgave you. Now you forgive you. And when he said that, it was like the clouds opened and the sun came out. Because whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. So I want to I just encourage anybody that knows someone that's struggling. God didn't bring me back to polish my knuckles and tell this story. God brought me back to tell somebody, you're not too far gone. You haven't gone so far, God can't reach you. Your kids, there's some of you, you've quit praying for your own kids because they're so far. God wanted me to tell you tonight, brother, start praying again, because God's about to bring some folks home. There's people watching this, you'd be shocked. I had someone call me, uh, last week, and it would blow your mind. And he said, I, I watched you preach. And this is someone famous and said, I watched you preach. And uh, here was his word, so it's coming to fruition tonight. He said, Maybe you ought to be a televangelist. So, ta da, here I am. But so you'd be amazed who all watches this, but I'm begging you in Jesus' name, don't judge. If anyone can if anyone felt like they were just untouchable, that would that's what the flesh will tell you. But you can all fall. But get back up again. Amen. I think that's about 30 minutes or close to it.
0: Yes, sir, it is. And you've given us a powerful, powerful testimony. But well let me say as as before I go back to questions, let Brother Moss kind of field things here. Thank you for the cost of sharing that testimony. I am quite sure that every time you share it, it, it takes a cost. And so thank you for our benefit, for being willing to, to go through the pain.
2: It's very painful.
0: Absolutely, my friend. I, the amazing thing about these testimonies in church, I think you need to remember this about your own pain. Is that it is in that very pain, though, that the lost of the world see hope. Thank you. It's in that very pain. And uh, I would argue to you, and it's not my night tonight, but I'd argue to you that's why God doesn't fully take that pain away. He says instead, would you put it in, would you right. put it into my kingdom? Would you let me use it? So, Brother Fallwell, thank you. Thank you um, for being willing to share. I, I have questions starting to roll in, folks. Now's the time to bring them in. And uh, So one of them that I, that I think is a great one to start with is when talking about coming back to God, yes, and, yes. and whether it is as extreme as, as your example, or whether it is, is somewhere yes. further on the spectrum, um, from your experience, speak to us about was the recovery or the returning back to God, um, was it an immediate deliverance, or was it a process or something in the middle or talk about the, the, the kind of the, the tension between we, we look for these moments where God just boom, and then everything's fixed. But then we also see that, that God uses time, time. Right. Is not, and, and so this mixture of the two talk about from your own personal testimony, that, that question of process versus immediate deliverance, if you will.
2: Yeah. It's, it's a process because when I got back, Brother Sholan, he he'd make statements to me like, "One day you'll preach again," and I'd look at him like, "Dude, you're out of your mind." I couldn't I couldn't quote three verses, and I did. I, my brain was so scattered, but it was a pro, it was a process that God, he you know, slowly but slowly, like I guess like someone that works out. I've never did it, but I've heard what what it's like. But you know, it's, it's a process of. And that's what it was when I began to pray again and, and worship. You know, you could ask anyone in this church. I don't care who's preaching, who's singing. I'm going to worship God. The Bible said to whom much is given, much is required. Amen. I learned my lesson. But if it doesn't happen instantly, don't give up. Because the Bible, we always liked them instant healings. The Bible said we'd lay hands on the sick and they would recover that's a slow process mm-hmm. it's not always just boom mine was just over time god restored me so thank you for that question
0: absolutely thank you for helping us out with that absolutely yeah. um viv thanks for saying i look good you're very kind on uh making that statement viv's always very kind from australia hey, um i got another question i i, I don't know if brother ivan and, and uh brother moss look good too viv you might want to throw them a a compliment too. They might, they might like to be complimented, but anyway, got got another question here. What are the greatest blessings you have received since the Lord brought you back? Maybe talk about a few examples of, of uh, maybe we'd call it restoration, if you will, you know, where, where, you know, the thing, the old Testament talks about God restoring that, which the locust and the, and the canker worm and so forth. Sin is, is, is that kind of a thing. It's those, right. it's those images, it steals from us. It, you know, the devil comes not for any reason, but to steal. And yeah. so, but God gives it, gives us back. Talk a little bit about that a little bit.
2: Well, the Lord, I think the, the greatest thing that God has restored in me is to reach people. He's, he's used me in the acts class. If I, I don't know if y'all have that there. It's alcohol chemical treatment series we have classes and through that and god you know my testimony and others we've got a young man here that was strung out on meth that's he just loves jesus and that's why i tell people this is a methless church that we go to come on i wait a minute
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh by, by the way i did want to mention that i guarantee you these folks are laughing it has been the bane of my existence to have Roy Moss as my father-in-law because of all these kinds of jokes. I can't, I can't stand the jokes. But for some reason, the church I pastored loves them. So oh, right. I promise you they are all laughing, falling off their chairs, and enjoying the humor. It's You're right in the right camp there anyway.
2: What I've, what I've seen most is extremities. We've got a man that goes to our church or this church, God's church. He was the... Uh, the head man in the uh, Bandito motorcycle gang, bad to the bone. Now, him and his wife both have the Holy Ghost, loves Jesus, just stories of impossibilities. That's what I'm seeing God restore. He's taken the hopeless that seemingly has no hope and given them hope. And I just feel it right now that you guys, I want start praying for the, I want you to, I dare you to start inviting people that that hell would tell you they have no chance whatsoever amen because if he did it for me i promise he brought me from death you don't go any further than that and so I, that's i've seen him restore that and uh, monetarily i don't you know i never have you know never had money but god's been good my kids bought me a new truck for my birthday or something a couple of years ago so now i can haul hay or whatever
0: <laughs> that's something we in Delaware know a lot about is hauling hay we spent a lot of time hauling hay no I'm kidding I re- we, most of us don't know nothing about hauling hay that's for sure is, is there a bale of hay
1: in the state other than the <laughs> Halloween decorations
0: <laughs> yeah there are there are a few farms left dad there are a few farms but most of them are down in southern Delaware down with the chicken farms and the beaches so there's so there's there, there, not as many. the main
2: thing that, that God you said restored the canker worm. He restored my joy. Amen. All right. He restored my joy. And so. Amen. Yeah,
0: you hear the psalmist, you know, created me a clean heart, oh God, renew a right spirit within me. Don't take the joy of your salvation from right. me. Let it be right. present within me. And at church, I'd encourage you, recognize and remember our vision statement all making disciples of all. Right. All includes the impossible. Jesus name all includes the ones that we have no idea how
2: can I butt in here just a second?
0: Absolutely. Sure.
2: Jesus took a, a trip across the lake or a sea. The Bible calls it both. He just fed multitudes and he got on a boat, faced a storm. The Bible calls it a tempest. I call it an impest because hell was trying to keep him from that place wherever And he left a multitude and took a a trip over for one man. You read the story, when he got across that lake, there was one man that he came to save. And this man had over 2000 devils in him. So he was buried under all these problems, but under 2000 plus addictions and anger, Jesus heard the cry of somebody's baby boy. Amen. He said, wait, boys, we got to go to the other side. Absolutely. He did all that for one man. Here Absolutely. I am. Absolutely. You know, that's your boy. That's your daughter. That's how important they are. So.
0: Another story that is familiar to all of us. I remind you of as he did the same thing. I must needs go through Samaria. Yeah. One woman. That's cool. or one woman.
2: Isn't that amazing? Absolutely. The, world, the world has exhausted the phrase personal savior, but he really is. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I tell people, I've learned that God, God doesn't just love me. I think he likes me.
0: Say that again. I think more of us need to realize that God actually likes us. I
2: think God loves me, but I think he likes I'd hate for God to say, you know, Ivan, I love you. I just don't like you. <laughs> I've learned he, he likes me. I think there's sometimes times I, I told the church the other night, I cut up all the time, but I think there's times I say something and God laughs. Amen. That's just naive, I guess, but no. he like you you hear me? He don't only love you. Sometimes you've been there in church, the preacher will preach a message and it's just like God throws his arm around you says, I sure do like you. This is just for you tonight. So remember that he loves you, but he likes you too.
0: Amen. I've got another question, Brother Falwell, which is, um, this is a, perhaps a little complicated, but I think you can speak to it, which is talk to us about the balance between demonstrating, showing God's unconditional love, which you've talked about tonight, his demonstration of that to you. But we as humans are also that vehicle of, of showing that unconditional love. And on the flip side for lack of a better term, holding people accountable for what they they know. In other words, not falling prey to the enabling. What's What's the balance there? As somebody who has, in your journey, walked away from, what can help us in being the church that it needs to be to others who perhaps for their reasons have gone through similar circumstances like you, where on the one hand, we stay committed to that unconditional love that cannot be separate us. And at the same time enable. Yeah. Dad, you want to add something to that? Well, Well, in, in answering this, I, I'm not trying to direct your
1: answer, but this would be an excellent place. In addition to your answer to talk about brother Sholen,
2: yeah, my pastor—he is—he uh, is the epitome of belief in restoration, but he loves you. Tough, he don't enable. He, uh, and it's amazing you ask this question because I'm going through a situation now. And I can't go into details, uh, but there's a man that I'm close to that I'm having to make a mama realize if you enable them, you're killing them. You got to love them, but you got to you gotta, you gotta tell them, I love you, but I'm not, I just can't watch you kill yourself, you know? And Brother Sholin, uh, I don't know what you really want me to tell you about him, but he pulled up in front of my mama's ch- house. i got gotten so low as living with my mom and dad, <clears throat> The shoulder pulled up. Uh, I don't remember the kind of car it was in. We laugh about it. I said it was a Cadillac. There's chicken bones on the floorboard, but that's exaggerated. But he loved me. He loved, he believes in loving people that are the worst. I've never met anyone like him in, in my life. He, a uh, church of restoration. Is that what you wanted me to talk about?
0: Absolutely. It's because, because. True, I will add, the question, who submitted the question didn't put this, but true restoration requires both unconditional love mm-hmm. and this accountability or this not enabling. Yeah. And it's this balance of the two. And I and I have heard part of your testimony, so I agree with you, Dad. Talking about what Brother Sholin did specifically with you might be a good way to, to illustrate
2: what you see the thing is, you asked me if it was a process. Yeah. It took a little while. He'd call me and, you know, he'd, he'd love me and then remind me, you know, you know, you're take your time, worship God. And he, you know, he he loves you, but he don't. He still loves God. We're not gonna let sin just run rampant. We got people praying through that. They don't know nothing about nothing. You know, there's a flip side to that. Leave that to the pastor, you know? Let, let the pastor be the one that, that tells them when to slow down, speed up, don't wear this, don't go. Let's just let the man of God do that and uh, just love God. Come to church and worship God. It's not your responsibility to, you know, line people up. Let let pastor do that and then he can answer to God and then he can have his breakdown. Not really. That's a, that's a joke,
0: bro.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm playing. If you're called, hear me. He gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. I've never known anyone more called to be something than Pastor Sholin. He's a pastor. He go. He does stuff, and I think, oh my gosh. How do you do? He, and he like water off a duck's back. He just goes on to the next person and loves them and And I I pray for him and I say, Pastor, how are you? I'm good. I said, No, 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 really, how are you? And I make sure he's doing good because I refuse to let hell hell do that to him.
0: Absolutely. I would add, folks, too, to this that and I am a pastor. I that that I am not an evangelist. But if I well, God bless you. I love you, but I am not an evangelist. I am a
2: pastor. I'm serious. I am a pastor.
0: Right
1: now, we're all televangelists. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly.
2: But yeah, one,
0: I'm
2: one of I want to a good pester.
0: Well, I'm a pester too. That's for oh, sure. Okay. But one of the things that I tell folks, and that I, in my own life, I've modeled. I have a I have a group of friends that their sole operation within my life is to be that friend that if if anything yeah goes astray
2: accountability. Yeah.
0: That they can step in. And I'm talking about, they're not, they're not, they're not the ones checking up on, on, they are being my friend.
2: friend yeah.
0: and so that I do not get into that place of aloneness. Cause that's, that's the problem. The devil gets you alone.
2: Isolation.
0: Yeah. Speaking of, of that isolation and that, a question came in with regard to, as you were being restored and all of that, how did your friends come back into your life? Um, and I've got another one kind of following on that, but what, what was the process? What, what did that feel like, or what was that? What was the operation of that, how your friends came back into your life? And the way I understand that is the follow-up question, which I'll have you answer, but I want to give you the context. What do you say to those of us that have friends and family that are gone from God, that are in addiction? So I think the, the spirit of the question is, is is something we can learn from the process of how friends came back into your life. What can we do well as God is restoring
2: the main, the main thing, almost every, every friend that I had before would inevitably come to me and apologize. And they would say, I'm so sorry. Brother Moss can attest to this. I wanted to talk to you, but I didn't know how. And I tell him, I said, you couldn't have found me. I was hiding. I didn't want you to talk to me. Right. I hid behind the green beans in the supermarket. If I saw you. Right. And that's that's the main thing. People feel guilty. It's not your fault. It was my fault. And the greatest thing that you can do is just let them know that I've always been behind you. You wouldn't allow me to be. You wouldn't allow me to help you. They don't want to hear you every day lambasting them and telling them, you got to get off that or you got to quit. They don't need to hear that. They need someone to pat them on the back every once in a while and say, you can do it. Son, I'm praying for you. I got faith. You're going to be all right, and just let God do the rest. So, yeah. I don't know if that answered your question, but no, absolutely
0: it does. And I would add to it, um, to the church that in the, as you all know, you're members of Newark UPC, but the firewall doesn't know this. But this is Newark has, in its over 40 years of existence, has been a place of restoration as well. And one of the key things is that when someone is not yet at the place. Yeah. In other words, the, the circumstances have not yet coalesced to bring them to that place of hearing the voice of God and being open even to the human contact. Many times you simply find a way to let them know you're still there. Right. Language I use is keep the door open. Now you might not be doing much with that open door, right. but you leave that door open. And, and I think in the balance in, in our struggle to stand for righteousness but still express the love of God, remember not to burn the bridge. No, right. Any for righteousness, you can sometimes burn the bridge. You can stand so strong that they feel there's no open door. Yeah. And you don't have to go that far.
2: I'm even guilty of that. Just a while back, I've got someone close to me that has gone from loving Jesus to just such a liberal in this world, it's you know? And God had to nudge me and say, you better start praying for her again. You better, you know, if you give up on her, you're doing something I didn't do on you. And just keep praying, keep believing. They may seem like they're so far gone, they could never be reached. But who do you know personally that came back from death to tell you, you can do it? That's me.
0: Here I am right here. Up
2: there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Meet Lazarus.
1: Absolutely. <laughs>
0: yeah. Another question, um, kind of a follow-up to your testimony. If you boiled it down, what was the number one or number two biggest hurdle you faced in coming back? And here the person, you know, unforgiveness of out uh, of outsiders or unforgiveness of the church or unforgiveness of God or unforgiveness of yourself or something else. What was the, what was one of the biggest hurdles? I mean, you've told us that, you know, that death experience, uh, bringing you back that rattled you, that got your attention. But then you've also said it's a, it was a process and a process where there was a man of God involved, a a believer that's walking with you and keeping kind of, what was one of the biggest hurdles that you feel comfortable sharing?
2: It's, it's all on me, but my biggest hurdle was what people was going to think about me. In the church? In the church. Because there was ser- many a time I thought about coming back, and then I thought, they're going to look down their nose at me. They're going to think, oh, what a pathetic loser. And when I came back, and I just decided I don't care, I came home, I went back out to the campground like I've never not been there because God restored me. And if they had a problem with that, then that was between them and God. Mm-hmm. But when I made my mind up and I came back, it was the total opposite. It, people were not like that at all. As a matter of fact, they were just uh, the opposite. They just loved me and, and just put their arms around me. And, and but my biggest hurdle was, what will they say? What will they think? What would they feel? And it was an illusion.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I have found that in the church, many times when God brings people back and he restores them, the church does respond well. Yeah, better. And I think the challenge is, is that where we may get it wrong is in our attempt, and it's this balance, and there's no perfect answer. We've struggled even right. in this conversation. It in standing for what is right on the front end of things, sometimes we contribute to that illusion. It is an illusion, it's not real, but and it's trying to follow. I I would I would offer to the church, follow the leading of the spirit, both when you're standing for righteousness and when you restore, when you're working to restore, because the spirit knows the heart. The spirit knows the mind of the person and can calibrate your words and your actions to find that balance between standing for righteousness and loving unconditionally.
2: Yeah. I got a thought this week. I don't know when and where, but the word trepidation, it simply means the fear of what may happen. Right. And that's, that holds so many people back. I don't have time to go into it. These girls may be here when I preach it. I don't want to run it. <laughs> Understood.
0: We don't <laughs> hey sermons are hard to <laughs> cut. Sermons are hard to come by, so we don't want to go stealing a sermon if you if you got one. That's that's it right. didn't say the fear of what
2: will, it's the fear of what may happen. And it becomes a, a shackle if you're not careful. And you can't let that happen.
0: That's right. Church loves you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, folks. All right, here we go. We got another question coming in. You guys make me nervous now. I'm going to have to come up with my own questions. And you know, that's not a good deal. So come on, keep pumping the questions (laughs) at me. Um, It can be so hard to share a personal testimony. So so somebody wrote in and said it can be so so hard to share a personal testimony. How did you talk a little bit about how you came to the place, even maybe the process by you came to the place that you could share your testimony? And obviously, we know that you shared your testimony. I, I alluded to that even as we were chatting before the broadcast um, that Regina and I saw this. Of course, Regina, as a little girl, remembers you and yeah, and, and the Mosses and her never forgot you and prayed for you. I know that. I, I, I'm here.
2: I believe that.
0: Yes. In fact, um, I, I won't say that that he's named directly for one of your sons, but I is it one of your sons named Caleb?
2: Yeah, that's my middle boy.
0: Well, my second son is named Caleb. Now, I don't, I don't think Regina named him directly after your son. Yeah, she said, did. Come on. All right. Well, maybe she did, but she told me that what it was was <laughs> it was on her brain because of those boys, and and so you were very much a part of 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 her life, and uh, and your testimony that you shared a few months back. Really Should have named that my
2: middle name Leon. Yeah, I know. Yeah.
0: That's oh. a more that's a more famous part. That's a oh, more I famous. I hated that
2: name growing
0: up. Well, your boys have forever ensconced that to be a, a little bit more famous than, than maybe you wanted it to be.
2: Well, when I what I liked about the name Leon, Christmas, I could look in my rearview mirror and it'd be hanging in towns. No way. <laughs> Come on. Come on now. Help me. Now. Help me.
0: All right. So how did you come uh, to be comfortable to share your testimony?
2: I think a lot of it came from ax class. We started we opened acts class and I started teaching in there there's a lot of hurting people and when they realized I was not just another churchgoer with a yep. good story to tell but what who was it brother Moss that said I am an eyewitness to his majesty was it James Peter one of them
1: Simon Peter I believe
2: yeah I am an eyewitness there's something about telling people I've been there I've seen it. I've lived it. And they just seem to light up when they realize, hey, he's not just telling me something he heard. Right. And that's, uh, I went into a Dollar General a couple of weeks ago, and there was a man sitting at a table, and he was taking donations or whatever. You've seen them. They'll yeah. get a donation, give you a button to put on. And he started telling me his testimony. And so I thought, here we go. So I told him my testimony, because he thought he was the worst person ever. And when I got through, Brother Moss, he was trying to give me money. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll you you'd be surprised when people hear, hey, he's been there. So
1: did you take it? The what money. Do
2: what do you think?
1: <laughs> How much was it?
2: Uh, <laughs> Silver and
0: gold. One of the things I would add to this that's interesting with acts is it's a smaller group of people, and so folks, if you're if you're working on sharing your testimony, the best place to start is one-on-one.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: And and, and you're looking for that person where you're trying to figure out how do I reach them, and your love and your care for them trumps your fear of sharing your story. You
2: know the thing about truth. It, truth cannot be exaggerated. Because if you exaggerate it, then it's a lie. Mm-hmm. Just tell them the truth. Tell them I've been there. I've made a mistake, but God restored me. When it's all over. God gets all the credit, the praise, and all the glory. So,
0: so before, before your experiences in, 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 that you've described here, you were an evangelist. So right. evangelist thats its most basic term is one who shares the gospel. And obviously it has a little bit more technical nature within our movement, talking about those that travel from church to church and preach and, and so forth. How has your restoration and that testimony affected your, your witness on the other side? In other words, you were a witness before and you're a witness now. Yeah. How has that affected? What, what, what is that? Is it different? Is oh, it
2: man, it's amazing? It's, I went to uh, Arbuckle Pentecostal Church, like three weeks ago, they asked me to come down and give my testimony because they was bringing van loads of women out of prison that was transitioning back into the public. And so they had me come down and this church, they won't mind me saying, I mean, it's, you could throw a rock and hit. It's that Winnie Wood Tiger King. I've never seen it, but they talked about it forever, but it's right there. And what that has to do with this story, I don't know. It's just dropping names, I guess.
1: Geographical information.
2: It's right, but I uh, they brought in van loads of these women that was coming out of prison, and I gave my testimony, and I'm not exaggerating. Those women were in the altar crying. Some of them jumping up and down. It's like there's hope. You know, it was just amazing. That's how it changed my testimony. Now you can can relate to people, you know. You know, I don't know. You go to dead churches and tell them, hey, I've been dead. There's that symbol again.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Well, we got just a few moments, and my wife has a – I'm going to call her out. She has a specific question for you, so I think this is a good way to end. She wants to know if you have any particularly great and funny and telling stories that you could share about Roy and Barbara Moss.
2: Oh Yeah, I do. About him specifically. Good. He and I, uh, one year was at the campgrounds and we were counselors. And I always thought Brother Moss, boy, he was straight laced and, Y'all do realize the man's preached general conference. You do, we know, do. We know. You know. We know. We do. He's way up there.
0: Great. <laughs> right. Priesthood in Philadelphia, which is now, that's our metropolitan city. That's what we operate in. The We're a part of that metropolitan area. In fact, Regina and I probably met each other playing on the escalators at that conference. Though we don't know it or remember it, but
2: he's so humble, I figured no one up there even knew he preached. Uh, no, we
0: defense. we know. We tell him every once in a while that he that he preached general conference. But he we don't I, tell it too often because we don't want him to get too big of a head because his head's been growing already. See how he's lost all his hair?
2: Yeah, because
0: his brain's been growing. So,
2: but he and I was counselors out at the campground. And there, I always thought he was so serious. And so anyway, me and him did our rounds checking on the, the campers, and we. It's dark in there and we open one of the doors and I hear sh- 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 and the light comes on and it's brother Moss. He had a water gun and he shot some of the campers, then he turned his light on. He said, All right, who did it? And then boys just wiping their faces. It wasn't me, I promise. It was I thought, he is just normal. He's just a normal What was
1: that you said about truth while ago?
2: Yeah. <laughs> but me and him, we had a blast, boy. And it was after after spending Time one on one with him and his wife. They're just down to earth, wonderful people. I'm not just saying this. I would say it to anybody. They're just awesome people, and they're just always had a place in my heart for the Mosses. that he's he's been used of God. Brother Booker came through that church, didn't he?
0: He did. In fact, he's been one of the guests. So you're in you're in great company. Brother Booker was on uh, what month or two month six uh, cool. weeks ago. Cool.
1: First Friday in October or September.
2: Yeah, he's quite a preacher. So, yeah, Brother and Sister Moss are just, you know, they're, they're highly educated, but very humble.
0: Absolutely. Folks, I do want you to notice that the story is told. Brother Moss did not deny the story. He simply asked a Jewish question. What's that about truth? You got to learn to watch the fox. He didn't deny the story, he just it's questioned it.
2: The wise man.
0: See, got to watch that. For <laughs> the fall well, we thank you for spending the time with us tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, we're at the top of the hour. We appreciate you being with us. I trust you. that you have enjoyed the broadcast. And again, if you are, are new to us, please come check out our our uh, website, newarkupc.info. You can find out more information regarding us. Um particularly while we're in this season of COVID-19 and we meet exclusively on our digital campus, six nights out of seven, Tuesday through Sunday, we are broadcasting Monday is the one day we give staff off. And so uh, we welcome you to come back and join us for each of those broadcasts. We're so thankful you've chosen to be with us tonight. And so brothers and sisters, it's been a joy. I wish you farewell and everyone have a great night. God bless you.